title of our message this morning is called Bearing Weights. And what I mean by that is that we all have challenges we face. We all have situations that call us to face our fears, to carry responsibility at a certain level. We have roles that call expectations upon us, or perhaps um, different opportunities that come upon us that call us to this place of bearing weight. And uh, it might be intimidating, it may be uh, fearful, but I'm, I'm convinced this morning God wants to strengthen us, wants to encourage us and give us the ability to carry these well and to bear our weights, whatever they might be, with his strength. And the best, best way I can illustrate maybe what I mean by this is it, it reminds me of a story of uh, something that happened to me when I first uh, went ahead and received the leadership position of the youth ministry. It was about 2005. Um, I had been asked, we had went through leadership transition, and I had been asked to consider carrying the weight of our youth ministry at a certain level, with a team of people certainly, but um, I was asked to be the point. And so I thought, I felt like God was in that, and I felt like I was supposed to move forward, and so I did. And I remember um, that time we decided to take a group of students to Washington, D.C. Took nine students to D.C. on a leadership conference. I had five, five girls and four guys with me with another female leader. And um, this organization that we had teamed up with, we flew all day to D.C., and when we arrived at the hotel, the hotel they had checked us into, which was actually the hotel the conference was being held at, was a Sheraton. And so we walked into the Sheraton, and it was probably one of the nicest hotels any of our teens had been exposed to. It was very fancy, very upscale place. And so we're walking in, and everyone's wide-eyed, and I'm trying to hide my amazement. And I'm sitting there, and we're sitting just looking at the hotel. And we make our way to our rooms, and they're just like, wow, and put, you know, we just hang out and stuff. And um, as we settle in, my guys ask me, the four guys in the room with me ask me, hey, Lewis, can we go explore a bit? Explore around the hotel. And I thought to myself, you know, four high school guys. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and so I said, yeah, go for it. Um, you know what? I have such confidence in you that I'm going to go ahead and take a nap. Um, <laughs> and I'll meet you at, at the swimming pool, which is on the top floor, the 14th floor of the hotel. And so I, I let them go. And I just kind of happened to notice they, they you know, took the swim trunks and everything. And, and, and so I took a nap and woke up a little later probably a little longer than I should have, but woke up and got ready, went up, went to the elevators, just seeing all the uh, traffic going in and out of the hotel, all the people, the level of professionalism. I was just a different experience. And um, get into the elevator that speaks to me, and I hit 14th and goes up, and um, just experiencing all this kind of taking it in. I get out of the elevator on the 14th floor, step into the swimming pool area, and it's nighttime by this time, and you can see the, the skyline, just beautiful. And the pool is nice, it's warm, it's steamy, it's, you know, it's a pool, right? In the 14th floor of the hotel, it's just one thing that's missing, my guys. And, uh, and so a little bit in me starts to get nervous. And uh, I think, you know, don't panic, they're somewhere around here, they're responsible, uh, right? And so I, I keep going down the hall and I hear like loud commotion, uh, familiar loud commotion. Uh, coming from one of the rooms down the hall, and as I look at the entrance, I see above it, it says something to the extent of banquet hall. And what I'm hearing is not what I would uh, expect from a banquet hall. And, uh, and so it's not polite, fancy kind of chatter, right? It's more like loud, joking, and you, you hear things moving around and stuff, and you, you feel the floor shake a little. And so I open the door, and I step in, and it's my guys uh, in 
in the unoccupied banquet hall on the 14th floor of the Sheraton in DC. And, um, and they were playing soccer. Because <laughs> they thought that was the best place to play. And, uh, and so you, know, you could imagine what is in this room, on uh, the tables and the, the different silverware and glasses and different expensive objects sitting around. And so they, you know, they, they took this into consideration as well. Um, so they went ahead and put the tables into the middle of the room. <laughs> Um, to make sure that they had both considered the tables and made room for themselves. And so they, they formed a square around the tables. And they were just kicking it to the right, to the left, you know, laughing, joking at each other, making fun of each other, all these good things high school students do. And so I'm sitting in there, and as I walk in, I, I think to myself, something small, very small in my gut says, mm, this may not be a good idea. And so I, uh, I, I step in, and, and it's our first day. I had just stepped into this role, and so I didn't really want to be a killjoy. Um, I mean, we were going to have a great week together. It was going to be inspiring and encouraging, motivating. It's going to impact their lives significantly. And so I didn't really want to squash this camaraderie that they were experiencing. So I said, you know what, guys? What, can you just be a little careful, <laughs> right? Just, just make sure you don't break anything, OK? And uh, you know, I thought to myself, what? nothing could really go wrong. They're kicking the ball really softly and gently, um, like high school guys do. And so I'm sitting there, and, and I, I think to myself, you know, and they're like, yes, Lewis, yes. I said, can you guys just make sure you be careful? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, OK, all right. I'm, I'm, I step back, and I start to think, maybe I should just make sure they keep their word. So I step back in, and I decide, oh, I'm going to join them, right? And so we, <laughs> we join the circle. Now it's four. Now it's five people around the tables. And we start kicking the ball back and forth. And we're talking and everything. And pretty quickly, right after I step in and we start you know, kicking the ball, the, the competitive level of this group starts elevating a little bit. And, and somebody dribbles the ball and catches it in the air, does a trick, and then passes it. Somebody else grabs the ball, you know, kicks it behind them, heel kicks it to the other person. And it, keeps, it goes around. And all of a sudden, you start to feel something of a, a desire to show their skill and gifts and talents. And so uh, one of them you know, starts dribbling in the air, and they do a move that's common in YouTube and stuff. And everyone's like, oh, watch this. And so now it finally, now it's getting, you know, it's getting much more competitive. And the person to my left decides he's going to take it up a notch. He grabs the ball, dribbles it in the air. And while it's in the air, he decides to, um, what I would say, violate all the rules we did not speak of. And he kicks it over, he chips it, and decides he's going to chip it instead of kicking it to the right or to the left, which is the silent agreement we made. <laughs> he kicks it over the tables. And he, his desire is to get it to the other person across. And we sit there, and he chips it up. And as the ball, it, it just it, it catches some air, like wings. And it starts going higher and higher. And the higher it goes, something brand new invades my eyes. <laughs> The entire ceiling is covered with what we later find is crystal chandelier. And it's one of those that it's made up of different pieces, right? Like icicles hanging. It's beautiful. <laughs> and the ball just keeps going, and it ends up touching one of the icicles of crystal chandelier. And its trajectory gets interrupted, quickly falls down onto the table, breaks several glasses, dribbles onto another table, and onto the floor. And all our eyes are locked on the swinging chandelier. <laughs> and I have to say, I, I, I think I had something to do with why it fell. The moment I thought, 
stay up there. It falls. And this large, beautiful, expensive piece of chandelier falls into the middle, shatters, and I'm just stunned, exactly. All right? I'm just stunned. And all of the guys, I just know it. They, I felt it. They just look at me immediately. And then they start to do what I really wanted to do. They start to run. And, uh, and I think, you know what? I can't run, so you can't either. Come back. <laughs> and so they stop in their tracks, and, and they shift now from uh, teens to, to wise councilmen. They quickly look around. They realize there's no cameras in sight. They come up to me and they say, Louis, we can really, we can sweep this up and get out of here. What do you think? <laughs> Let's get out. No one's going to see. No one's going to know. And I'm thinking, you're so wise, so intelligent. You know, why couldn't you use this before? And sitting there, and I'm conflicted because I know I can't do that. But I really want to. So I tell the three guys who did not kick the ball, I said, you guys, Get the soccer ball, the evidence, get out, go to our room quickly and please slowly because I just kind of felt like I just need to do something. And so in the middle of the panic, I just said, you know what, I just kind of blurted it out. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to take care of this. Don't worry. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, I just felt like the right thing to say. It's what responsible people say. And so I just stepped into that. I said, I'm going to take care of this. And so I said, Want the three of you guys, grab the ball, go to the room. Please, do not touch anything. Take, this, this, the, the, the lad, the, take the, the stairs. Do not go down the elevator. Do not touch anything. Don't go into any other room. Go straight to the room. Lie down on the bed and keep yourself away from anything. I don't want you to touch anything else in this hotel. We just got here. And so the, the, the guy that kicks the ball, that kicked the ball, ends up trying to get away as well. And so I have, have to call him back and say, no, you're going to stay with me. And you could just sense the weight heavily weigh on him. Puts his shoulders down. And, and as I'm thinking about this, I'm realizing that, boy, some way, shape, or form, even though it was not my foot that tried to show off and kick it, into the chandelier. My name is on that broken chandelier to a certain extent. And I remember getting into the elevator and um, we're going down the floors and the teen looks at me and he says, what, what are you going to say? It's code for, are you going to throw me under the bus? <laughs> and, and I thought, yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> course. And I was sitting there, and I said, well, we're going to tell, we're going to have to tell them the truth that, that we, we had a soccer ball, that we found an empty banquet hall, the fanciest one in the hotel room, in the hotel. And we decided instead of like normal people playing soccer outside, we played in the fanciest room with the most expensive objects. And we broke something. And uh, we walk out of the elevator to the front desk, and now I'm, I'm having to swallow this a little bit, and I just don't know what I'm going to say, so I figured I'm going to give us the best foot forward, right? It's what we're taught to do. So I say, hi, my name is Lewis. I'm youth pastor <laughs> from a church. Uh, we're here on a uh, Christian conference <laughs> about leadership, <laughs> and we're staying in one of your rooms, and... And then I come out with it, and I tell her, we were in your empty banquet hall. No one got hurt, <laughs> except one of your pieces of chandelier. Um, and she looks at me, and her eyes start getting wider, and she doesn't say anything except, 
I think I need to tell my manager. I said, lovely. Uh, and so the manager comes out, and I explain this to her, and she stares at me. And you can just tell all these questions are coming to mind. Um, why, right? And so she sits there, and she realizes this is going to take some assessing. So she, she sends us to our room <laughs> and says, we'll talk later. And the next day comes to me and says, uh, that's going to be $700. That's the damage. And I thought, wow. My first role, I, I so wished, I longed for the times when I had somebody else to hand this off to, when I was, somebody else was responsible, and I would just be like, whoa, that's a tough one, <laughs> right? How are you going to take care of that? I'm here with you, but how are you going to take care of that? I had nobody. That was, it was me. And I remember having a great week and coming back and telling the parents about it and then, um, you know, kind of almost forgetting about it, trying kind of hard to forget about it until Monday morning when I have to sit down in my administrator oversight pastor's office. And I, I was already scared of him. I didn't need any help. He didn't need any help. And so this situation definitely didn't make it easier. And I remember just sitting there explaining, yes, it was the first day we arrived. Yes, we found this empty, fancy banquet hall. Yes, we played soccer in it. I guess we did think it was a good idea. No, it was not a good idea. <laughs> I will never do this again, right? And I remember just having that conversation, needing to swallow that pill. And I remember that, and I share that, you know, and I, I, I got to tell you, after that happened, I ended up, uh, we exchanged, uh, you know, information, contact info with the manager. They made sure they had my infor information, and I, I got theirs. And I remember calling them and, and saying, you know, can you send us an invoice so we can go ahead and take care of this as quickly as possible? And they said, well, ma the manager uh, who took care of that isn't here. Why don't you call back at this hour tomorrow? And so I called the next day, spoke with the manager, let him know, uh, my name is Lewis. I rem remember, you know, this may have never happened before, but this is what happened with us. Can you please send us something so we can send it and take care of it? And she says, you know what? I'm having a hard time remembering what you're talking about. Let me check my paperwork. And so I said, okay, no problem. So I called the next day. And eventually I end up, I feel like I end up begging them to let me pay for this. And uh, the, the manager ends up saying, you know what? I have no record of what you're talking about. Uh, just please stop calling. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Let it go, right? And you know, that's the moral of the story. If you own up, everything will go, just go away. <laughs> if you bear your weight, it will work out. You will just have to wash your hands and you're fine. Um, it's amazing how it works. Um, I mean, I wish that was the case. I really wish that was the case, but that's not the case. I mean, um, it, that would be wonderful. That would be amazing. Uh, we would jump into responsibility. We would run for it, ask for it, give it to me, please, all right? But the reality is much different. So the reality is when we're given opportunities to bear weight, to be responsible, to step into a role, to own what we've been entrusted with, we might immediately go to the possibility of failure. And we might even attach ourselves to that failure and make the connection that if something goes wrong here, even though we may not directly be the cause of it, our name is there. We know what it's like to carry weight. We know the fears that come up, the, the insecurities that come up, maybe past experiences where things just went wrong. And so we handle these opportunities differently depending on what we've gone through. 
Some of us may decide we're going to put our head down and just kind of struggle through it. And we're going to do everything possible to survive. We're going to hate it the whole way. But we'll survive. Others of us have concluded that the best thing to do is to let the opportunity just honestly pass us by. To step back. And hopefully that door will close quickly. So that we do not have to step in to the opportunity. Something that's common, at least where I work, is I've seen some of us, a lot of us, even myself, see this uh, response of what we would call procrastination. Where we're handed something, entrusted something with something. We have no choice, really. And so we have a month, and we put it aside. And then we have two weeks, and we think, two weeks? No big deal. Then we have a week. Then 48 hours feels a little tough. And then 24 hours comes up, and now we're panicking a little. So we decide to go outside and play. <laughs> because we have resolved to make sure that the situation forces us to face it. We will not face it unless we're forced. And I think of these responses that we take, and I realize that God would have us step into these uh, situations, opportunities, challenges, fears with courage, with strength to face them head on, to move into them and fulfill what's expected of us. The passage we're going to look at walks us through how the Lord may want us to interact with these opportunities. In fact, if you open up your handout, it's this passage taken from a letter written to Timothy. And if I could just set the table real quickly, it's this letter that's written from Paul to Timothy. And Paul is uh, in prison in Rome at this moment. He's uh, waiting his trial with Caesar. And he, he knows clearly that he's at the end of his days. This trial will probably define his final day. And sitting in a, a cold cell, he decides to write to Timothy because the way he interacted with Timothy is he would go, in his earlier portion of his life, he would go on these journeys to tell people about Jesus in cities and communities that didn't hear about him. And he would end up developing a church community of believers. And then he would move on to different cities. And as he was doing this, he ended up coming, intersecting with Timothy. And Timothy lived in a town called Lystra. And he had a great reputation as a hard worker, a loyal believer, sincere faith, proven, trustworthy. And so Paul sees Timothy and decides he has potential to help him as a partner, asks for permission to take him with him, and he does. And along the rest of their journey, their, their conflicts that they have to walk through together, the struggles and the experiences they share, end up creating a strong bond, one that shifts from partnership to a father and a son. Paul takes a fatherly interest into Timothy's development. And he trusts him. He would send him on to check up on different church communities and give him a report back, or he would entrust communications with Timothy to send them to a church community and come back with a response. And one of these cities was Ephesus, a church community he had spent a considerable amount of time, three years of his energy investment. And so Paul needed to move on from there, and he realized he wanted to give this over into good hands. And so he asked Timothy to remain in Ephesus to bear the weight of shepherding, caring for, and in some way taking responsibility for the health of this community of believers. And here's the thing. 
On the surface, Timothy may seem like a strong individual who's capable of doing what was expected of him, but the reality is much different. He had reason to have insecurities and fears. And so Paul, out of concern for Timothy, ends up writing this letter in his final days. And this is what he says. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. See, I've been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. And he says, I am, I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. You can hear the tenderness of the relationship. May, may, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. And I would say this grace, mercy, and peace may be just what we need right now. He's reminding Timothy of what's available in the Lord. And he says, verse 3, Timothy, I thank God for you. I'm incredibly grateful for you. As I sit in this cold cell alone, I'm reminded of the gift our relationship is to me. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. I want you to understand I have not forgotten you night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. I'm praying for you, Timothy. I'm praying for you. Say, I long to see you again. For I remember your tears when we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. You get the sense that the strong apostle who so many relied on, so many looked to, so many asked of, so many trusted in, is now experiencing a degree of loneliness that he reaches out to his loyal son in the faith. He says, I long for us to connect again. I miss you. I'm looking forward to that day. He says, look, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. Remember who you are, Timothy. Remember what heritage you have been given, how you were raised to observe the scriptures and to let them guide your life, how you were raised to observe the teachings of Jesus and let them inform your decisions your actions. Remember who you are. This is why I remind you, verse 6, to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. So you have God-given talent, skills, and capacities, but it's up to you to fan them into flame, to invest into them, develop them, to make sure they grow and get stronger and mature. If you do not activate your gifts, like a flame, they will die away unless you fan it. It is your responsibility to manage what's been given to you well, to develop it well. And it's almost as if he's turning the corner now. He's encouraged them, let them know he, he remembers Timothy, he misses him, he's grateful for him, he reminds him of who he is, what heritage he's been given, how he was raised. And it's almost as if now, maybe not the only reason he's writing this letter, but certainly one of the main reasons. He says, let's, let's, let's be real here. Timothy, God has not given you, God given us a spirit of fear and timidity. That is not from the Lord. But his spirit is one of power, love, and self-discipline. Otherwise rendered as soundness of mind. See, Paul knew something about Timothy. Paul knew that Timothy carried a disposition that was characterized as timid, otherwise known as low confidence. 
and would show up in how he would interact with people in conversations. He would move into situations because he was in a community of believers who had strong individuals with strong opinions that differed with what he knew he needed to teach. He would be challenged. He had people in his community who were older, more experienced, in some ways uh, had a different vantage point that he felt a little bit inferior to. And so he would carry himself with a bit of trepidation, hesitation, almost with an apology. That after he would challenge or exhort or correct, he would say, you know what, I'm sorry if this, would, if this offends you. And I understand, Timothy. See, I understand what it feels like to walk into a situation, maybe p- perhaps a 14th floor banquet hall situation with four guys who are playing soccer with fancy things all over, and something in me says, this probably is not the best thing. But you know what? May you please be careful and make sure you don't break anything because that's very doable, you teenage guys. And so why don't I just go ahead? You know what? I'm sorry. Forget, forgive me. Why I'll, I'll just join you. <laughs> right? I mean, we get the idea of how Timothy may have carried himself. See, some of us are right there. Right there. Right now. We're about to enter a role that is calling more out of us than we have experienced in our past. And we fear the weight. Some of us are being expected to pull through in situations we don't know if we have it in us. To make decisions that others will be affected by. And we're afraid. We're afraid. Some of us might be feeling overwhelmed of what has been assigned to us. I think of the honest parent who is in confidence, we've had conversations and different parents, families over the years have entrusted things to us. But this is one common thing I've noticed. So I've, I've been across the coffee table when a parent has to decide. Their role is to raise a child in a culture that inspires, motivates, and encourages them to go against any parent guidance possible. And they have to decide at different hinge points whether they're going to choose their friendship with their child or they're going to lovingly step into their role and speak words of gentle truth. They don't know what to do. They know what they need to do, but they fear losing something. Or I think of the individual who has the opportunity to influence somebody else in the right way to go. But to do so would mean that they would have to limit their own freedoms, that their life would be affected. They would have to adjust what they do and what they don't do because now somebody is following in their steps. And although they may have the strength to walk into different things, the person following them may stumble if that is where they're led. All of a sudden, influencing somebody doesn't feel like an opportunity. And I would say, this is our, if that is us, this is our word. As Paul tells Timothy, The Spirit of God is one of power. If you lack conviction, the Lord will give it to you. If you lack confidence to step into something and fulfill the role you've been entrusted with, God will give it to you. If you feel nervous or scared or you're afraid or you don't feel qualified, know this, you are not qualified by your capacity, but by the Spirit within you. Move into it with the power of God. And secondly, he says, you know what? It's not just the power of God. It's rooted in the love of God. 
If you lack love for those entrusted to you, ask of God and he will give you the love you need. If you lack patience or gentleness or grace, if you are offended and you need to forgive, call on the one who died on the cross for the forgiveness of people who did not even know him or love him. For that same spirit is in you. Because love risks. Love takes the chance. Love sacrifices. Love does not take their rights into their own hands, but he sets them aside, becomes a servant for the benefit of others. So Timothy, understand that the spirit in you gives you the ability to love. And it's not love that is just out there. It is soundness of mind. If you're feeling overwhelmed, like the waves are coming in, God's Spirit gives you the ability to not allow that to overtake you. But you can possess within your grasp the peace and calmness you need to step forward, to not allow the, the enormity of the challenge perhaps the conflict or the project to overcome you, but to step into it knowing that the God of the universe and his calming, peace-filled presence gives you the capacity to step into the storm, to step through the storm and come out on the other side. Do not allow your timidity to stop you from carrying your role out, Timothy. Some of us, that's our word. We need it. We need it desperately. We need to own it. We need to step into it for the challenges before us. You know, in these closing minutes together, I'd like us to consider and make a shift and take the words that Paul shared with Timothy and turn them and face them towards our lives how we could possibly apply this to our situations. I'm just using these under the, the heading of closing reflections. I'm just going to put this on there. We can learn that part of accepting, embracing, owning our weight has to do with, firstly, being open to the assignments God has for us. I'm just going to make this statement. Oh, many times with the Lord, it's not about our individual capacity as it is about our individual willingness. Many times God will bring us to opportunities or challenges. He will call us into a role that may be larger than what we can occupy. But if we are willing, we will grow into it. If we are willing, he will give us the strength to endure. If he is asking this of us, he will be faithful to carry us through so we can carry it well. And I'm going to put secondly that the way we successfully bear weight is by focusing on God's ability, not our inability. Too many of us may interact and remember and dwell on our incapacity, our inability, our past failures, our past attempts, the times we did take a risk and we fell. And I would say that if there is a new challenge, opportunity, or current role we are having a hard time fulfilling, perhaps we can get our gaze off of us and onto God and his ability to pull us through. I like to think of it this way. Courage can be found 
where our weakness and our lack intersects with our faith. When our weakness and our lack reaches out to the Lord and says, here, you have an opportunity, God, to show up. Because it's there that we know it was him. It's there that we experience the fullness of his strength. It's there in our weakness that the power of God is most available. And it's not a mind trick. It's reality. God gives us this entrustment at our disposal so we can glorify our Father who is able, even though we may not be able. In closing, our willingness to bear weight is intended to bless others. It is intended to bless others. It is not purely for our own benefit that we are challenged to face our fears, to step through things, or to keep our commitments, or to grow in our maturity. It is not purely for our own benefit, although we will be benefited. But there are people in our lives, there are friends in our lives, without knowing it, are waiting for us to own what we've been entrusted with. They are literally waiting for us to step into the weight we must bear. Our families, our marriages, our co-workers, they are waiting on us in some way because the Lord is trying to use us in their lives. It reminds me of a reality that all of us may be able to identify with. You see, all of us have benefited from somebody who bare their weight. All of us have benefited from the person who has not quit, who has shown up when they least desire to, who has stayed committed and stayed the course and remained faithful. And because of their sacrifice, we enjoy a certain degree of freedom and life and strength. God used them as he longs to use us. I pray that we would step forward I pray that we would step into the weight God has for us to carry with courage, with power, love, and soundness of mind, and that it, our blessing would trickle into the lives of those around us, and that our community here would be benefited, that our families, our co-working relationships, our friendships would get the taste of the blessing God has for them. Some of us are surrounded by people whose breakthrough is simply waiting on our hammer to knock at the door and knock it open. That is where we are at. In fact, the closing song that the band will come up to share as we receive our time of giving is called On Fire. Fire is a metaphor in the Bible for God's Spirit. Prayer is, as we receive this song, that the fire of God's Spirit would burn out the, the fears within us. And that his fire would burn courage within us. It would be stronger than our fears and insecurities. And if you look at the seventh stanza down, the first line says, I'm standing on the edge of me. I'm going to suggest that some of us are there right now. We are at the edge of ourselves. We have been brought to a place where we must decide if we will step into the role, step into the expectancy put upon us with courage 
or not. We are at the edge. The decision is ours. I pray we decide to move forward by his strength, by his power, by his soundness of mind. We will move through this, face our fears, overcome them, grow and benefit and see others around us grow because we decided to trust that he is able. He is able. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you call us to these places. You challenge us. You entrust to us different responsibilities. You call us into phases of life, God. Call more out of us than we've experienced. And yet you walk with us. And you strengthen us each step of the way, God. Thank you that your spirit is available to us. I pray, Father, that as we receive our time of giving, you would give to us the courage we need, the passion and fire we need to move forward in your name. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.